What does it mean to bring our whole selves into the world? To give ourselves the gift of unconditional acceptance. Join me as we learn together. I'm Jorgen Salvis, and this is Unchaining. Jalov Serrano is a health educator and HIV AIDS activist based in New York. Contracting HIV at the age of 15 in the early 2000s, he lost everything in fear of disclosing his HIV status, his friends, his family, and his sense of confidence. His own experiences encouraged him to destigmatize the virus, though. His passion and personal stake in unshaming HIV and AIDS have taken him everywhere from national campaigns, even to the White House. This is his unshaming story. Growing up in the Bronx in an Afro-Latino, low-income family with several siblings, Jalov sought attention he wasn't getting at home from his high school peers. He quickly realized that his peers were rewarded with attention and popularity when they exchanged stories about sex. Wanting to join in, he searched for an opportunity to lose his virginity. But he was left vulnerable with a fragmented sex education from school that didn't include education on gay sex or HIV prevention. In this episode, he tells his vivid memories of contracting HIV and the weeks, months, and years that followed. Listener discretion is advised as sensitive topics such as unconsensual sex and rape are discussed. Me and my best friend, we went down to the village after we shopped for our last, uh, for our last check before we went back to school. And I distinctly remember this guy checking me out as I was walking up and down pier, um, Christopher Street. And I was just like, no, it's too early to give him my number. I was like, if I see him leaving, then it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. So it happened when we was leaving the pier, we saw the guy. He whispered to me. I was just like, sure. And I gave him my number and no, well, actually I took his number down because I couldn't, I wasn't able to call nobody because mm-hmm. my mother didn't let me use her phone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I'll take your number down. So I took his number down and um, we talked for the last few days of summer and then we made an appointment. Now the appointment was for me and him to engage in sex. Now I told him I was 18 and around that time I was really 15. I was 15, mm-hmm. but you know, I was just like, I didn't look my age, so I didn't say my age. And I never would have thought in a million years that I would contract HIV my first time having sex. Um, you hear about people getting pregnant, but HIV didn't become my reality until it became my reality. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't ask about questions. I, I mean, I didn't ask about condoms. I didn't stress condoms because um, sex ed curriculum in high school at that time was so heterosexual based. So I knew about STIs, um, STDs, even HIV, but I didn't think that that would happen when having sex with the same sex. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought that happened during heterosexual sex. So I thought I was dodging wow. pregnancy and everything else. Um, and the sex went from consensual sex to rape because um, at one point, since it was my first time, I didn't mm-hmm. want to continue. And he was just like, no, you're going to have to wait till I'm finished. So I went from consensual oh. sex to rape. And um, and I know we'll forget it. I know we'll forget it, but I just was ready to get out of there. So he was done. I got up. I dashed up out of there. 
And that kind of went in the back of my mind because like now I'm like super excited, although it's a bit traumatic, super excited because now I have a story to tell my friends. Now mm-hmm. I actually have tangible proof. I know what sex is. Um, one of also the reasons why I engaged in sex was because I wanted to not have a story to tell my friends, but also teach my friends because we're like the bisexual crew yeah. in high school. We always claim that we was having sex, but again, school wasn't teaching us how to really have it or protect ourselves. So mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to take that leadership role. And so I remember as I was about to tell my story, because I told my friends I was going to be with the guy and all this stuff like that. And as I was about to tell my story, my friends was like, you heard about such and such got the monster. Now, the such and such was the same guy I just had a protective sex with. And then I'm finding out that he's HIV positive. And my life just went upside down. I got um, I got nauseous and I was just like, what? And how they knew the guy was HIV positive because a friend friend of ours had also sex with the same guy mm-hmm. and that they went to the same church and the guy had disclosed in front of the whole congregation that he's HIV positive. And so here am I finding out like, okay, so you can tell the whole church, but you can't tell me. Wow. And I was just like, what to say? I didn't want to tell them at that time because I felt the shame. Mm-hmm. I felt the stigma because the way that they was talking about the guy was so derogatory. And I was just like, although they're my friends, I don't know what they would say to me. It's also interesting that sex was something that could make someone so popular. But at the same time, we as a society, right, don't want to talk about the other side of sex. Right. So we know in a marketing world, like sex does sell, but no one wants to talk about some of the repercussions about sex. Right. right? Um, And so the whole day I was just like, is it the same guy? Is it not the same guy? It gotta be the same guy because that's the same guy, you know, distinctively, the I mean, details. I was like, that's the same guy. Um, that same week, I got kicked out of my mother's house for being, um, gay and she, she would claim it rude and disrespectful. Yeah. Um, dropped out of high school, found that I was possibly HIV positive in turn 16. Wow. That was my life in 2001. And I was like, I should not have been worried about these things. I should have been a teenager playing Pokemon, riding bikes with my friends. Right. Like, you know, my sexual health should have been the last thing on my mind. But that was the first thing that was on my mind because it's something I had to deal with. So now I have this, I have this life. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So um, I, thankfully, my aunt took me in, but you can't live with nobody for free. So I started working at McDonald's for five fifteen an hour. That's what minimum wage was then mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, living in the Bronx. Okay. And my rationale was like, if I do have this disease, let me get a job. Let me get up so I can save to get my own apartment. Because if I do have this um, disease, then I could die in my own apartment. I won't burden my family. You know, wow. all of this um, shame was really shame. Co- was really coming coming forth because I did hear that I did also hear about you know. Some HIV was something that gay men got mm-hmm. and died and it was their fault because God don't like gays. And I didn't identify as gay at that time. You know, I was very bi-curious. I was just like, I didn't, again, didn't put two and three together. Mm-hmm. And um, and I still was in denial at that point. I was like, oh, I can't be HIV positive. It's not the same guy. The denial. The denial. It, there was a stream of emotions, depression, mm-hmm. anger. But um, I didn't really get myself tested until I was about 18. 
Um, the reason being was that I didn't know that in New York state law, as long as you was 13 years of age and above and could give consent, your parents had no rights to your reproductive health or your sexual health. So I waited until I was about 18. And I went to a clinic up the block from my mother's house. And were you were you showing any symptoms in between um, when you had come in contact with it to when you got um, tested? Um, look back at it. Absolutely. I I did, mm-hmm. especially the first week of me. Con- the first week of me contracting the virus, I was experiencing symptoms um, while several converting, which mean becoming positive. Like I had the only flu body aches, like for flu-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctively before, like after turning 16, cause I was just like in the bed, couldn't move. I was just like, if this is the effects of having sex, I never want to have sex again. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was just like, oh no. I was like, this is, this, this cannot be what everybody talked about. It was so mm-hmm. great and enjoyable. It was <laughs> painful and the recovery time was terrible. And I was just like, Okay, no. So yes, so that later on in life, later on in life, I found out that that was a whole symptoms of my body um, becoming affected with the mm-hmm. virus. When the two weeks came for me to get my results, there were so many things that were going through my head. Like, if I am positive, who's going to love me? Am I going to have a husband? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to? Is my family going to leave me? Um, I know they're going to leave me because they already don't like me being gay. So it was just all these things that was coming in my head, and I was just like, I didn't want to know. But I also wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And so I got to the clinic and I got my results. And once I got my results. Yeah, walk, walk me through that uh, that moment of of getting the results. What, what was going through your mind? <sighs> um, doctor called me into the back. Everything started happening in slow motion. It was like, this was the real deal. Wow. Um, the door opened up in slow motion. She sat me down. I felt like I was sitting down in slow motion. When the door closed, I started hearing violins. Like something that you see out of a movie screen, but um, it was actually happening. And mm-hmm. when the words rolled out of her mouth, Mr. Ronnie, HIV positive, I was like, everything stopped. It was just like, what? hold up you know and it was just like you know how you zoom in and zoom out in the the camera and then you could focus out so i felt like Mm -hmm. i was on the focus but everything was blurred around me and she just kept talking and nothing made sense after that i was just like what just happened and why me why now why my life Mm -hmm. you know although i had the suspicious that i was hiv positive to now it to be fact on paper and now there's things that I have to do to maintain a healthy life. I was just like, no, I'm just 18. I'm like, I'm young. I got my whole life ahead of me. And I instantly felt like I was going to die because I was just like, there was no success stories. There were no positive imagery of HIV positive people out there. They were thin, frail, very sickly looking. And that's why I was just like, no, that can't be me. I'm healthy, you know? And so, um, she was like, we need, you need to talk to a um, psychiatrist, you need to talk to a social worker, you need to have a nutritionist, you need to have all these people to make me a healthy person. Okay. And I was just like, I just wanted to get out of there. I, I hold, uh, I've held face just to get out of there. Like, I'm okay, I'm okay. But when I walked out of that clinic, I was just like, oh my God, my life is over. Wow. 
And all I can focus is going back to McDonald's and flipping my burgers because that's mm. the most normal thing that could be that day. It was me working. Everything else, the whole day didn't feel normal to me. What was it like living with it during that period when, you know, in, in those days there wasn't as much education around it. There was a lot more stigma than there is now. Um, well, the good thing was that I went in denial, so I didn't think I was positive. So it just went in the back of my mind. After the diagnosis. Yeah, after the diagnosis, I went in complete denial mode. I was just like, no, I'm not taking medication. No, I'm not going back to this clinic. No, I'm not being seen around here anymore because I was mm -hmm. just like, I didn't look at it. I didn't feel it. I was just like, this is not like, this, this is can't not, be true. this can't be true. I was like, they need to test me again because I was just like, although I already knew the suspicious, I was just like, well, when, then why don't I feel sick? Why don't I look sick? Why don't mm -hmm. these things? So because I wasn't physically feeling or seeing the effects of the virus, I was just like, I went in complete denial mode. Um, and I went back to like my regular schedule planned. And to me, if I was going to die yesterday, I felt like, let me do everything that I wanted to pursue today. So I got myself back into high school, graduated high school, got myself into college. Um, always wanted to pursue being a professional background dancer model. And I started doing these things. Mm -hmm. um, I also even was a health educator for uh, the hospital that I, that became my clinic. And when I became a health educator, a peer educator as well, I felt empowered to like, you know, teach people about this disease, um, ask people to take a free HIV test, mm -hmm. all these things. But I've also felt like a hypocrite because here I know my status on one hand and I'm asking people to take care of theirs. Um, and you weren't taking medication at that point? Or? No, I was still in denial mode. Um, it wow. took for me to get comfortable with the staff and I told How my supervisor. Um, so I, I always forget the time that I've got that job, but it was somewhere where I was, I think it was about like 19, something around 19 where I started working that job and it was just a summer job. Mm -hmm. um, and the supervisor was just like, are you serious? I was like, yes. Yeah. So they took me down to the clinic. They retested me. Of course, it came back that I was positive. And that's when I had a full team, like a full team to take care of me and my health. Mm -hmm. And I was still in denial mode, but I knew that I needed to be engaged in my care. Yeah. Because of the stigma and the shame of being HIV positive and gay, I never wanted to go to the doctor. And when I did go to the doctor, I had like a full hood over my face because I didn't want nobody in the clinic to see who I was. And until the doctor called me into her office and I knew we were safe in her office, it's when I would reveal myself. So even to the people that you were educating, they didn't know no. your status? No, yet. they didn't know at all. Wow. You know, um, and it it was so it was so hard hiding it because I felt like I was dying on the inside. Now that I noticed it, it was my family that was putting all these negative thoughts that I felt about myself and the shame about myself because it really wasn't it really didn't come for me. Tell me a little bit about what kind of acceptance you were looking for that you weren't getting by being gay or by being positive. <sighs> The acceptance that I was looking for was just a safe space, you know, mm -hmm. a safe place. Like they say home should be a safe place, but it was never felt home. It never felt safe for me. Um, to be loved. Yeah. To, to be loved and safe because I felt like 
Had I got some of those self-esteem lessons or just self-love lessons or even mm. someone telling me that I was beautiful, like my mom or dad told me I was beautiful or just tell me that they loved me and I really believed it. Worthy. Yeah, worthy. Who knows where I would be today because, I mean, I was seeking that also in, in the guy that I had unprotected sex with, right? Mm. He felt he showed interest in me. I've showed interest in him. Um I would have not lied about my age. I would have known my worth. You know, I would have not cared about my popularity so much because the popularity was was so much to me because that's all I had, right? I've, people loved or not loved me. People liked me because of my popularity. You know, when I went home, no one cared who I was. I was the black sheep. You see what I'm saying? So if some of those things I would have received home, maybe I would have been seeking so much attention in the outside world. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I was just looking for just that love and comforting to feel safe. Where do you think that that lack of uh, perceived worthiness that HIV positive people are taught to believe they should carry the burden of? Where do you think that shame and stigma comes from? I, feel, I believe it comes in several places, but I think where it first started was definitely the medical community, because when they um, were seeing this epidemic, the rise was in gay men. And around that time, it was about sexual revolution for gay men and just having the rights to be loving and caring mm-hmm. for who you are with, with whomever you love, especially again, you know, in the streets and publicly. And so once they started seeing, you know, this rise amongst gay men, they first called it GRID, grid Gay Immunodeficiency Syndrome. Um, so already associating this illness with um, gay men, wow. that brought a whole like, good for those fags and you know god this is this is what happens when you when you're gay right so with that then of course when the medical community has something to say press is there so the medical community didn't fully you know explain how it was transmitted because they were only seen in one population although mm. several other populations was contracting around the same time but the meta, um the media community also ran with that that was and what the, the narrative was yes though. the narrative then was just like a rare gay a rare gay cancer or a rare cancer that's seen in gay men is going around and stuff like that you know so those are some mm. of the, the head titles right and so if you're a heterosexual already not caring for a gay man or already feel a certain way that carried that negative stench mm-hmm. on the virus, right? Could you imagine if it was first seen in heterosexual people, what the narrative would, would have been today? Because still to this day, people feel like it's a gay disease. Mm-hmm. Only gay people contract it. Although, um, funny fact is that only in the United States is HIV seen as a gay disease. Globally, it's seen as a heterosexual disease. How was the shame manifesting for you? The shame was manifesting for me um, in a worse way because I felt like my silence was killing me because the fact that I knew something was going on with me, but had to live my day to day activities. And then also I had to make sure I made my doctor visits still pursuing life. I'm still a young man at this time, um, which just really, really bothering me because I was just like, there were days where I didn't feel so well. And I had to say, oh, it's just this. And, it, you know, making mm-hmm. sure that it wasn't HIV positive, um, anything related or remotely related to HIV. But then people started giving me that squint eye, like, you know, like, right. 
I don't really think it is what you say it is, but we're going to let you have that. Right. And then I just felt like I was just living a lie in a double life. And, um, which led me to get depressed, which led me to be angry at myself, which led me, um, isolating myself with so many people, even mm-hmm. not even pursuing a relationship or anything because I was just like, I'm not worthy. I have this disease and who's going to love me and who's going to want to have sex with me? Wow. Because again, someone is HIV positive. People are extremely fearful because they don't want to contract it themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's where it was just really developing in me. And I was just like really killing me because I wasn't speaking up or saying anything about it. And even when it came to doctor visits, I didn't want to show up until like there was something wrong. So what was the process of you unshaming yourself? Well, I mean, it's still a process. I'm still on the journey of (laughs) unshaming myself, right? Because you, all these years of people putting their thoughts and feelings onto you, you peel through years of um, unlearning, right? We have to learn, unlearn some of these behaviors, these toxic behaviors, these Mm. toxic thoughts. the process for me was that I landed myself in the hospital in June 2008. Um, after just pursuing everything I wanted to pursue in life, I really wasn't taking care of my health as I should have. And because of that, I landed myself in the hospital in 2008 because I wasn't taking medication, wasn't ready. Um, I went down to AIDS diagnosis and developed a form of cancer. And I'm not a religious, I'm not a spirit, I'm not a religious person, I'm very spiritual. And I told, I did a prayer in the hospital bed and I was like, Lord, you see me through this, I'm gonna do your will. Because the doctors already written me off, they thought I was gonna die. They was like, you should start making preparations because we don't see you living past few months. You know, they sent me home with a bag of medication, but just like, we don't know if this is, anything is reversible at this point and what, what we can do, you know? And that is when I was just like, I don't want to die. Like I have a resilient soul and I, mm-hmm. I have much more things to do on this earth. And that was part of the process because this is like, ja, you're here. If you want to be here, you have to change the way you think, the way you feel. Plus my nurse practitioner at that point was just like, we're in a relationship and you're failing on your behalf. On your behalf. And um, I wanted to live. I was alive, but I wasn't living. And so I started my medication. My medication um, brought my immune system back up to a healthy state. Um, I gained my 11 pounds back that I've lost. And I was just like, okay, I know where this came from. Can't make a deal with the man up above and I hold your hand. It was also the acceptance of reality. The acceptance of reality because it it scared me. I was just Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to die. I was just like, this is not where this is not how I'm supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And so with that acceptance was came with a, a hard reality. Like there are things that you need to do. There are things that you have to maintain in order to live a healthy life and see yourself at 200. Cause that's my living life goal. 200, 200 pounds. No, 200 years of age. Oh, 200 years of age. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, not in this body was the band of science and medication, you know, just preserve the brain, I put it in the Android body. You know, <laughs> you know, I watch too much movies, but that's the living goal, 200. Um, and so I was just like, all right, John, now you need to eat healthier. You need to be on your medication. You need to go to your doctor visits as often as their, um, as the appointments come, you know, you need to 
really like getting like so many things was just like Jai, you need to just really take care of yourself if you mm-hmm. want to be here um also i had to get i had to shake that shame and that depression and i started to build my support system because i really didn't have a support system right and i had to like mm-hmm. start telling people i was hiv positive because if you're gonna if you're gonna be part of my life you're gonna know this part of my life and um I've lost a couple of people telling them I was HIV positive, but I gained so much more friends and mm-hmm. so much more family members. And that's when I knew like, this is the right journey I'm supposed to be on because everybody around me felt, made me feel normal, made me feel loved and made me feel accepted. And and that's what I think so many people are so scared of about unshaming themselves is the idea that no one will love them or stick around. Mm. if they find out who they really are. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you see it all over, right? We see movies and sitcoms and people in real life and social media. Everybody has couple goals, right? You don't hear HIV and love, right? You hear love and hip hop, right? You hear, (laughs) (laughs) you hear like, you know, wrestling and love, but you you don't hear like the love story of HIV positive people living a normal, healthy life or see it or see it because I hear it because I am in the world. Um, but um, media hasn't picked up. Right. There's no storylines. There's no any of that. Most of the time when you see representation of someone's HIV positive on TV, they're still, you know, they're still Ill. there's not that healthy image that um, that makes us feel like it's tangible. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's not nothing in the media right now. No, is, is just few spotlighted people here, right. open, you know, very far and few famous people disclosing their HIV status and stuff like that. But, you know, you don't see their world. Are they involved? Are they mm-hmm. married? Are they, you know what I'm saying? It's just their story, just them. Yeah. Um, And so it's hard to it's hard to even it's hard to even. Um, must have the courage to say because it's like if I don't say this I can have this but if I say this I may lose this mm-hmm. and those are the things that you juggle what was it like telling your family about your status so I didn't have the actual conversation what mm-hmm. happened was that I disclosed my um, story to a Spanish newspaper, a newspaper called El Diario, and it came out during World AIDS Day, which is on December 1st. So my sister-in-law neighbor saw the newspaper article, which brought it back to my sister-in-law house. And my older, uh, yeah, my older sister happened to have been there that took the article and brought it to my mother's house. And then they read it collectively like a family. Then my twin sister texted me and was just like, why would you put your business out there? You put a shame on us and the family wow. and this at the four. And I was doing a presentation up in Albany, um, educating young people, telling my personal story with the virus. So I'm like, here am I doing something great that's very therapeutic for me. And here you guys just saying that because you found out that I put a shame on the family. Had they been more accepting and loving, they would have been the first I would have told. But mm-hmm. they never produced that avenue for me to walk down. And so I never did. And so when they did um, find out, um, Mm. I kind of was just like, F them. Because if you're not, if that's the first response after me doing something brave and some people's eyes would say, and you're going to say, I put a shame on the family as if you're living with it. I was just like, I didn't want nothing to do with them. Um, They later on somewhat came around 
especially like my mom. My mom, like if I would go to her house and sneeze, she would be like, I gotta rush you to the hospital. I was like, no, mom, it's a little dusty in here. You know, <laughs> just those curtains off. Um, but that was her way of saying like she knows and that she just wants me to be healthy. Yeah. You know, so we didn't really have like that full conversation. I will say before she passed, she was definitely, my mom was um, proud of me of all the work that I was doing and my advocacy Mm -hmm. and being open about my HIV status. Um, And the way that I found that out was that while she was in the hospital, um, I believe it was a social worker that came in, or one of the nurses, I can't remember, but I believe it was a social worker that came in and was talking to my mom. She's like, this is my son. And she broke down all my um, things that I was doing out there. And I was just looking like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay you know and it, it was just like slowly but it happens it, ha- it happened right and it was like it was never discussion but then she said it to somebody how yeah. proud she was of all the things i was doing i was just like okay mom <laughs> <laughs> you know what we were talking earlier um is kind of about this idea of the folks were so scared to lose that will reject us how, how did you sort of come to overcome that and and let those people go the people who disowned you and and didn't want to love you or be a part of your life when you disclosed this information to them i had to first be okay with myself right so i had to just i had to like stomach my diagnosis i had to be like this is my reality right mm-hmm. and i had to have learned everything about it so that when the questions came i was able to answer them and i had to start living for myself right I had to really just say, John, it's okay to be whom you are, how you are, and however you show up in the world. And if no one, or if any, if no one accepts you, you got to be okay with that. Hmm. And I had to be okay with rejection. I had to be okay with not having maybe love. I had to be okay with just me loving on me, hmm. you know? And then once I got to that point, it was just like, prepare myself to walk down a lonely road and I just got a full abundance of so much people that love and accept me because I was just like I didn't think it was going to be like this but I welcome it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I had to let go of what I thought I wanted and embrace what was um what was meant for me if that makes any sense and and I want to ask you a little bit more about that so in a world where if you are different in any kind of way from what society uh, defines as normal. Mm -hmm. You are told you're unworthy, that you're unlovable. How did you sort of um, start the process of unlearning a lot of that um, and and deciding to love on you um, and accept, accept that, you know, the reality that, well, maybe people might not love me, but I have to do this for myself. Well, there were several outlets. I mean, one of my outlets is I've always been a dancer. I've always been a creative person that was able to express my art. And sometimes you just can't have those conversations, but you can express it through movement or just Mm. go to a nightclub or just like, I like to take my problems to the dance floor. And so I've discovered so much about me as being a background dancer and just Mm. learning how to dance um, through my natural born talent, which led me to background dance for a woman of trans experience. And just opened me up to the world of drag performances and showgirls. And I was just like, I want to do that as well. Because it's like, how liberating, like you're just saying F gender norms, F all these things, because mm-hmm. you're going to do this. And so when I discovered the art of drag as well, was one of the things that was just like, well, I could do this and I love myself. And um, 
sometimes the words I I couldn't express the words, but I can express it in, in a performance. Mm-hmm. And that was some of the therapeutic things because I feel like sometimes when you don't have nobody to speak to, it, you can go crazy, right? I had to make the thoughts in my head express them without words and I found other avenues. And those were like, that was one of the um, things that helped me along my journey of self-acceptance and um, shedding myself with the shame and really just loving all parts and facets about me. So I would say definitely like my entertainment side or should I say my artistic side mm-hmm. definitely played a strong role because I've always was in the arts when I was young. I've always, I was in after school programs. I've always made sure I was in some type of performing arts because it's what I gravitated to. It's what made me feel free. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about um, what it means to be undetectable and um, and how you get there. So um, undetectable um, means that because I've been on my HIV positive, I'm, <laughs> I've been on my HIV medication since 2008, um, I have a controlled virus, which means that there are low amounts to none traces that if I were to have a protective sex with somebody, I cannot transmit the virus to them. And um, which have been the goal for years for us mm-hmm. positive people to just hear that we cannot transmit the virus to our partner. Wow. And so due to me on my medication is how I maintain an undetectable viral load, keeps me healthy. And so I cannot transmit the virus to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even when you were talking earlier about um the heterosexual sex ed mm-hmm. that we all experience, what do you think um, inclusive sex ed would look like? And, and what are some of the benefits of that? Because I never got that information when I was going through sex ed myself. So I think if we take the genders out and just focus on the acts, then mm-hmm. I think that that will make a better curriculum, right? Because, you know, Two guys, two girls, a guy and a girl can engage in anal sex, right? Or penetrative sex, mm-hmm. right? And if you focus on like, these are the body fluids that you want to um, stay clear of, why it's important to use protection, no matter what gender you're having sex with, you know what I'm saying? Will make it make sense for everybody to be welcome in the room versus just like, you know, always um, assuming that the um, receptive partner is a female, right? right. Um, and that the penetrative partner is male. That, you know, in a non-binary world, these things don't exist, right? And so we just focus on the acts and not the gender. I think that that would be a better sexual health um, curriculum for young people to Mm -hmm. digest because it's like we're just focusing on the acts, the fluids to stay clear of and how to engage in it. That would make much more sense. What has it meant for you to live authentically? What has it meant for me to live authentically? Uh, it's meant a journey, right? Because like healing is a journey, not a destination. And so I'm still, like I said earlier, I'm still on that journey. But the minute that I felt fully acceptance for myself, right? And forgave myself because I had to forgive myself for all the things that um, that I did to myself. That's what it felt like, forgiveness of myself. Mm-hmm. authentically loving myself, expressing myself as um, many places, showing up in the world, because a lot of us hide ourselves to just make it by. But I was just like, if I'm going to live on this earth, because we all got to share it, 
I'm going to show up the way I want to show up. Mm. I've lived years showing up the way that people wanted me to show up. And now I want to show up the way I want to show up. Damn. Yes. And what is it that you think we're all searching for in this life? I think what we're all searching for is a safe place, safe space, just to be who we are without free, with, without, um, without, or should I say, free of judgment. Thank you so much, Jalav. I'm Jorgen Salvas, and you've been listening to Unchaining. For more information on Unchaining or anyone featured on the show, visit us at unchainingpodcast.com. If you liked this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review. Unchaining Season 1 is now streaming everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.